Hey everyone, I'm Mike Delpretti and you're listening to Context, the podcast where we're talking about businesses and technologies that are changing in real estate. Today, I am happy to be joined by Glenn Sanford, the CEO and founder of eXp. Hey Glenn, how are you? Good, Mike. Yeah. Awesome. Um, thanks for being here in, in Boulder. So this is actually a really fantastic back-to-back because -back, last time we talked to Robert Refkin of Compass. And, and now we're talking to, to you of, of eXp. And, and like I was saying before I hit record, these businesses couldn't be more different than, than each other. So it's going to be really interesting for the students after this and in class, and also through this conversation to kind of hear what you have to say. But to start out, I want to ask you the first question that I asked Robert. I think it's kind of an interesting place to start. So, you know, you're a busy guy, you're running a big company that's all online, fundamentally. How do you typically start your day? The way I normally start my day is, you know, obviously get up, take my vitamins. Um, I will take a look maybe at a couple uh, email messages or workplace messages. And then I look at what, what I have on my calendar for the day. So that's kind of how I start each day. Of course, I know a little bit about what's going on the previous day. But um, I, I, I follow my calendar. You know, I jump into various virtual meetings fewer than I used to, mainly because we've got such an amazing team now. And so I'm more in that sort of visionary role, but I'm you know, reading the trade publications, seeing what's going on in the news, not like anything's going on these days. No, uh, pretty quiet, pretty quiet. <laughs> but yeah, so that's kind of the thing. And then I, I just stay available. So during the day, people can reach me. We use Workplace as a platform so they can message me, text message me, jump on a call. So I'm touching bases with a lot of people around the country. And then I travel a lot now too, to a lot of different events. So the, this next 14 days or so, I'll be going to about six or seven different EXP regionals. I'll be doing two investor conferences. And again, I'm able to do that because I've got such a great team in the background. So I don't have to be sort of hands-on day-to-day anymore. Mm. And do you do most of the work at home in a home office or do you ever kind of pop out to a cafe or somewhere nearby to change the scenery? Uh, both. You know, because I travel at least two weeks or so a month, you know, I'm either bouncing between hotel rooms, coffee shops, Regis spaces, real estate offices. A lot of our agents have their own offices, so I'll, we'll do things there and I'll, I'll check in. But then when I'm home, it's actually kind of relaxing to be in one place mm -hmm. and know exactly where the coffee maker is and how it works. And so I'll just sort of wander back and forth between my office and the coffee maker. <laughs> so I asked Robert about coffee. I have to ask you, what kind of coffee guy are you? Well, I have a, uh, a Jura, which grinds and makes the espresso. So I pretty much do two to three Americanos a day when I'm drinking coffee. Mm -hmm. And I say when I'm drinking coffee, because I go through about two weeks where I'm drinking coffee and about two weeks where I'm drinking green tea. So this right now I'm in coffee mode. <laughs> That's great. You should get a shirt made up with coffee mode on the front. Okay, great. So if we, if we turn our gaze towards real estate for a bit, so as you mentioned, there's a lot going on. If we think about the past 18 months, you know, since the market kind of started to turn last year through the end of 2022 and 2023. I mean, that's been rough and every business has had to kind of readjust through that process. So I'm, I'm curious for you, you know, what's something that you've learned through that process through the past 18 months, either something about yourself, your team or your company? 
One, there's always a push and pull. And what I mean by that is, especially in a down market, you've got a need to cut costs in order to maintain some level of profitability and cash flow. Uh, at the same time, you need to invest in growth at the same time. And so you've got this, in the last 18 months, it's been a bit of push-pull. So in in 2022, we set out to reduce or take out about 20% of the cost of the business, which we did. And then in January this year, I got together with the team and said, hey, we need to actually quit cutting costs and go back on offense. And I think there's an ebb and flow to that. So we're coming back into, you know, a slower time in the cycle, just being, you know, we're in Q4 now and Q4 and Q1 are the two slowest quarters in real estate and recognizing that, you know, there's still a need to cut costs in when the market gets slower. So I think when the market gets slower, you have more of that push and pull around investments and cost cutting. Whereas when it's just grow, 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 to some extent, you can't keep up with the growth relative to the expenses because you can't hire enough bodies, you can't bring in enough technology. And so to some extent, expenses are playing a little bit of catch up. Mm. And then when you get to a sort of a static state or you start to slow down, then you recognize oh yeah, we actually have to actually manage the business as a business. Mm. Before you were talking about, you know, your schedule and, and this visionary role and, and moving around a lot. And when you think about, you know, going on offense, just to kind of tie it all together, how and, and where do you come up with your ideas? Um, a lot of it is really owning what's actually taking place in the marketplace. I'll give you uh a couple examples. Last quarter, we announced two initiatives. They were our Accelerate and our Boost initiatives. And, and Boost is a, an initiative where broker owners who want to convert to EXP, they would always come in and want some sort of special deal in order for them to make the jump to EXP. And with that, there was a lot of unintended consequences in getting them over. They needed an extra fee here. They wanted to sort of hide it from their agents that they brought over. We had to sort of cover for them in some capacity, which was really not in integrity with what we wanted to do. And so really owning that, we said, why don't we just be overt and actually make this an actual program with parameters and, and people can talk about it. Mm. So that would be one where we, we looked at um, just what was going on and said, why don't we just own it and then and actually promote it as opposed to pretending like it's maybe not happening and then figuring out how to make it happen in the future. So, I mean, that's one type of innovation. Um, you know, Accelerate was a, a, another one where we just want to help agents get more productive faster. We just did an announcement, actually I think it came out earlier today on homehunter.global. And this is a really interesting product. I saw it a number of years ago, I think at Inman, and it's a basically a browser extension that allows consumers to bookmark properties as they surf portal to portal. Now in the US and Canada, it doesn't matter whose website you're on. It could be a Realtors website or Brands website, Zillow, Realtor.com, Redfin, doesn't matter. 
you see exactly the same list of properties. Internationally, that doesn't take place. And there's all these portals, and it's very expensive for agents to promote on these portals. And the light bulb went off that this was a tool that would be amazing for consumers that are stuck having to search four, five, six different websites in their local country just to find all the properties that might be for sale because of the way that advertising takes place there. So I think there's a fair bit that goes into, I guess, the brainstorming part. I'm a geek by nature, which means I play with everything. I was plugging, you know, PDFs into the latest version of ChatGPT yesterday without any additional plugins just to see what would happen uh, and, and see if I could get some good data out. We were doing some stuff around net promoter score. But for me, I just like playing with the tools and the tech because in my mind, there's a tool or a technology that's on the bleeding edge today that if we can adopt it sooner than our competition will give our agents an advantage. And a lot of times these things aren't very expensive, but for me, I love playing with the tools and the tech. So that'd be another thing that I do pretty regularly. Um, I wouldn't say daily, but when I get on a, a path, like right now, it's a bit of an AI sort of bent. You know, I'll play with lots of different tools. I just created my own avatar of myself and digitize my voice. And now you can actually create a digital version of me about to do it so I can speak 24 languages with my own voice and my own avatar. So that's kind of a fun project, but you can, you know, think about it from the perspective of a company that's going to, as operating in, already in 24 countries. And eventually we plan to be operating in a hundred countries with, you know, all the different languages. You know, we always have to be sort of thinking about how do we solve this problem that's right in front of us? And in most cases, uh, the reason why we're trying to solve it is because it hasn't been solved before, which means we always have to be in sort of that creative, exploring innovation cycle. Last week when Robert was here, he was talking about technology and he was saying, you know, there's, I don't know, four or five, six, 700 technology vendors. And basically all the technology that an agent needs is already out there. And their approach was just, you know, we just need to bring it all together and integrate it. Do you agree with that? Do you agree that kind of all the technology that an agent needs is already out there? Or do you think there's some interesting new stuff that should be actively explored? Uh, <laughs> that statement has been made about technology by many different, very bright people in technology for many, many years. And without fail, and I'm talking, you know, decades here, without fail, within a year or two or three, there's some new technology that shows up that just changes the entire game. Right now, we are in one of those fundamental shifts. And that's AI? And that's AI. The ability for AI to ultimately assist the agent, the brokerage, the consumer in ways to streamline that whole exercise, whether it be, well, there's a lot of AI going on right now in the industry. And so this is has been around for at least the last couple of years uh, where AI can actually look at the photos that are uploaded to the MLS and actually figure out what what's going on well beyond the property descriptions. And in fact, now a really cool experiment, if you want to try it, if you haven't done it before, is you know, take a picture in your home using ChatGPT on your phone and then ask ChatGPT to describe it in a realtor's voice. It's pretty funny the results that you get out of it because it literally sounds like a real estate agent describing the open kitchen with the ornate moldings and the, you know, and all of this stuff. And you think that for years, uh, you know, an agent would 
type in something and then maybe if they're using like Jasper or whatever, it would maybe come up with some description based on what they typed in. Now you, it's actually able to build your entire property descriptions, your marketing plans, uh, probably create your task list for your assistants. Eventually those task lists will be APIs that will connect to other systems. Um, and I see sort of the AI piece being just the game changer that blows that statement out of the water because it's going to rewrite everything that it means to be a real estate professional, in my opinion. Hmm. I mean, we've spent 10, 15 years trying to get agents to use CRMs. Like what leads you to believe they're ready to jump in and start using AI? For exactly the reason they won't use their CRMs. But if they can have an assistant, conversational assistant, actually remind them, touch base with them, add data entry, actually do the CRM stuff for them mm. without them having to sit in front of their keyboard, you know, get blurry eyed looking at the piece of paper that they're typing in data into the CRM, setting the action plan and trying to figure out which action plan do I want to send them? Are they a buyer, short term, long term, out of area? no phone number, whatever, and the AI will just do it. That's really the dream CRM. Like AI really does replace CRM. And we think about CRM, like there's there's also three different CRMs, well, at least two different CRMs that agents use, three, really. They use a CRM, an actual CRM, so whether it be Follow-Up Boss or KV Core or whatever. Um, there's their phone and just their regular messaging back and forth via their text messaging and phone. And then there's the social CRMs, which is Facebook, LinkedIn, you know, Instagram. And the reality is, is a lot of people don't call those CRMs, but more business for a lot of agents is generated through their social media that they'll never need to touch a traditional CRM. Yet we don't call social media CRM. Mm -hmm. So agents figure out how to do business, whether it's a CRM or not. And then if you sort of fast forward a little bit further and you think about where does AI sit in this mix, well, it's going to connect to all three of those and it's going to be this sort of middleware that's going to keep everything up to date. Interesting. As you're talking, I'm thinking to myself, you, you've been in the industry for a while and when eXp started, I assume there was one agent and then two and three and four and now there's 90,000 agents, give, give or take a couple thousand. What's something you've learned about real estate agents through that? journey? Um, I've always referred to myself as I'm jaded about a lot of things. I'm jaded about people. I'm jaded about myself, meaning that left to my own devices, I'll screw anything up. <laughs> um, and I think about that like in the context of real estate agents as well. So that's why we created EXP and the way that we created it is I fundamentally recognize that most real estate agents are not business people never will be, don't have the acumen for it, or certainly not the desire for it. They don't have the bandwidth that it takes to actually run it truly as a business. So how do you then go about creating a model that gives them the benefits of business ownership without them having to go through the brain damage of business ownership? And we judge agents to a large extent by how many transactions do they do? Uh, how much GCI did they create? And I think real estate agents, really, they're like, hey, I need to put some deals together because I need to pay some bills. And that's the vast majority of them. And the vast majority of them that have been in the business for more than, you know, two or three years, 
they figure out how to do enough deals to you know, put food on the table, a roof over the head, and take a couple vacations. And if you sort of think about it from that perspective, they're doing exactly what it was that they set out to do. Of course, you talk to industry people, they go, yeah, the real estate industry should only have about a quarter of the agents that are in the industry. Most of them aren't professional. But the reality is, is that this industry provides a platform for a lot of agents to do what they need to do when maybe they're not as well suited to chase the corporate dream up a corporate ladder or because of dynamics, maybe they're stay at home, they're not in a place where there's lots of opportunities, they can still go out and be in the real estate business. So for me, I think about real estate agents in general as doing what it takes to put business together for their personal needs. And then you've got the superstar agents, which is, you know, that two, three, four percent of agents that will really run this like a business. Mm, interesting. And is that opinion of yours changed kind of over the, you know, the growth of EXP, that trajectory? Um, what I do see is that agents, they themselves, I think, feel like the business is a good business to be in because one, they're in it. But I think a lot of them are also frustrated about the inability to truly get ahead. And, and I think that's fundamental to lots of different businesses, you know, people in different industries, whether they be on the front lines of whatever, it could be a Walmart or a Nordstrom's or a, you know, what have you. And so for me, I just tend to think, you know, what can we do to put something in place that can give them more opportunities than they would get somewhere else. And when they recognize those opportunities, then occasionally, and actually it happens quite a bit, uh, they'll actually get really excited about the fact that this business no longer feels like a dead end. Hmm. And, and so that is really beneficial and powerful. And actually, it's one of the reasons why I keep on doing what I do is because I love to see that transformation for agents who were struggling to pay their rent and now they've actually bought a house or they never knew they were going to be able to, you know, send their kids to college. And because of the way that we set up the model, they start to see the opportunity, then they work harder because they actually see something that actually makes sense that they can actually strive to build. Mm. Okay. That's interesting. If you think about the past, I don't know, five years, 10 years, your whole journey at EXP, can you think of an instance you know, can you share something with us? An, an instance where you had to make a tough call that went against the grain of conventional wisdom? Uh, well, I mean, fundamentally, the very first one was when we launched. Nobody had done a, at the time, there were virtual real estate companies, and there were some, but they were 100% based companies. They charge a flat fee. They're very inexpensive for agents to hang their license at. So there were no frills companies. And that was basically it. And so we came in and said, that model doesn't work for the agent, doesn't work for the broker owner, because there's not enough money for what I called leadership. And so going entirely cloud-based or virtual, or as we refer to ourselves as the world's first fully immersive web 3.0 real estate brokers, that was our tagline in 2009, being a cap and split model, and then passing on some of the savings in running without bricks and mortar to our agents in the form of our rev share and eventually the equity program, it did absolutely run counter to what people are thinking. Even today, you look at what took place in COVID 
and you saw all these individuals in corporate America that started to work from home because they had to. And the fact is, is that the mainstream CEOs and people who run large enterprises, they're bringing all of their workers back to an office. They're trying to. And, you know, whether it be Elon Musk or whether it be Apple or Microsoft, I mean, most of the tech companies are attempting to get everybody back. And I think that there's still this fundamental belief in residential real estate that you can't really run a real estate brokerage without physical offices. You know, I think you mentioned uh, Robert Refkin was here a week ago. And, uh, you know, that's a very bricks and mortar heavy business. And so you've got people on both ends. And by the way, nobody's right. Like, mm. I'm right for a section of the industry. He's right for a section of the industry. I actually believe that there's a reason to pursue it. But what I still notice is that there's still a significant amount of the industry that doesn't actually believe that a cloud-based virtual real estate brokerage will work, even though the fastest, currently fastest growing real estate brokerages in the industry are all cloud-based. Yeah, it's hard to argue with that if yeah. you look at that. And and what you're talking about is kind of a spectrum, right? There's the cloud, fast-growing cloud-based brokerages, and there's these I don't know, you know, high service brokerages like Compass on, on either side of the spectrum. And a lot of my research has talked about that. Do you think there's any room for a company to be in the middle? Um, I'm sure there is. I mean, there's an infinite number of ways to do anything successfully. The challenge that I run into is I buy into pure plays, meaning that when you know exactly what you stand for, it's a heck of a lot easier to build then we're trying to actually please everybody. Mm. And so people self-select into pure plays. Now, is there some sort of hybrid? And I'll describe maybe a hybrid version that I've imagined. And it's something that I thought about even back in 2010, 2011. So in 2010, 2011, the biggest objection to EXP was we, you don't have any offices. And uh, it still continues to be an objection that agents will say. So we said, okay, well, like similar to what I was talking about earlier, like own the problem and just say, okay, we need to come up with a solution. And said, well, what if we were to form a relationship with Regis, the big co-working company, mm -hmm. um, IWG? And uh, we reached out. We were the first company in North America to get what they'd already been doing in Europe called the Blue Card Program, which gave all of our agents a card, every agent in EXP can go and use a Regis office anywhere in the world. And there's like 1,600 of them um, that they can go drop into and use. And we pay the freight on that. The interesting thing is, is we gave them the card, they loved it, and they never use it. Yeah, of course. So my freight is not very expensive. So the objection wasn't as real as I thought it might be. The other part is that we always said there's got to be a way for real estate brokerages to take their physical office and actually turn it into something else if they come over to eXp. And so that's been part of the journey to create this sort of alternative use for that space. So two years ago, 2000, no, 2020, I think, uh, we bought Success Magazine. Mm -hmm. And with that, they were just a magazine. I'd always played with the idea, of, couldn't we have a co-working company? And since most real estate offices already look like co-working spaces, couldn't somebody with a physical bricks and mortar office convert their office to a co-work space and build a second asset beyond just 
building their real estate, you know, residuals and equity in the EXP model, that might even be more profitable than them trying to run a real estate office. Because most real estate offices, as you know, are not, well, in this market are not profitable. And if they could run as a co-working space, then they could have small businesses, entrepreneurs, and other people that needed space, they could be using that space instead. And doesn't that become a target-rich environment for people looking for real estate? Hmm. You know, just have a few agents that are just happen to hang out in the space. Yeah. So we actually, uh, we just had our first grand opening of our first success space in Flower Mound, Texas last week. We've got 13 of them that are currently in process. We've sold some regions and some areas. We've got, I think, one person just committed to 11 or 13 in addition to the other 13. And so we've got this nationwide network of co-working spaces. So like I think about like, you know, talking to, you know, a major brand that has tons of franchisees in the real estate space. If they ever wanted to come to EXP, it's like, well, hey, what if we gave all of your franchisees a co-working space you know, waive the initial startup fees or whatever, and now they can build a second asset and convert to a model that actually is the future. That's fascinating. I had no idea you were doing that. Yeah. What a great idea. Okay. Well, we'll have to stay tuned, see how that progresses. So if you could send a one-sentence message back in time to 2019, Glenn, what would it say? 2020 is going to be a great year. <laughs> um, certainly 2020 ended up way better at the second half than in 2021. Yeah, COVID wasn't going to be, uh, from a business perspective, we were already well positioned because, you know, everybody worked from home already. But uh, I would say that would be something that I would have noted had I been able to use that information for good. Yeah. But it, what kind of advice would you give your past self? So I think the thing that I would, and this would have been, I would have been telling my 2016 self this versus my 2019 self, is if you have a business that you fundamentally believe in and know at the bottom of your heart works, there are going to be people who are going to come and try to take you out of your game. You'll likely have a crisis of confidence. However, if you truly believe in what you set out to do, then set the crisis of confidence aside and do it anyway. Hmm. You know, I went through some stuff and I'm, I won't talk about it here on the podcast, but there were people that were in the EXP orbit that didn't have the vision, didn't understand what we were building and tried to take us out of our game. And it forced me to have to go make some tough decisions that I ultimately made it through. But the amount of stress that I went through during that period of time, not knowing what was going to happen was pretty tough. So I think nobody's going to know your business better than you. Mm -hmm. And this is me personally, I would rather pursue my dream business and go broke than to try to accommodate people who don't understand what I'm doing. Yeah. That's a great point. That's great advice. Over the past 10 years, I mean, eXp's grown really fast, and it's now the number one brokerage in the U.S. based on transaction volume, which is huge. Has there been one thing in particular that really supercharged eXp's growth through that journey? So, you know, in 2012, in fact, I was here in Denver. I had went to a T. Harv Eckert Millionaire Mind Intensive. So they did these things, and it was kind of these 
large group awareness training around business and finance and those types of things. And it was a really good event to have attended. But the thing that came out of that was that I wasn't thinking big enough. And I realized that I wasn't going to have a successful business, but the value prop that I had been building at that point didn't answer all of our agents' needs. And so the revenue share was great. We were, we were growing about 50% year over year, and it looked like that was going to continue on without any, any issue. But I always came back to the whole concept that I wanted to be an equity shareholder in the companies I was involved with. I started at Prudential, which is now Berkshire Hathaway, and I was at a local franchisee up in Bellingham, Washington. I was the number one buyer's agent, number three in the office, my first full year in the business, and went in and asked for equity. And they said, we're not selling any equity. So I'm like, okay, well, then I'm going to move on. And I went over to Keller Williams and I was offered 1% ownership in the market center, even though I was 30% of the office's volume. And then I recognized that owning at the local franchise level really didn't make a ton of sense because those things go out of business every time there's a down cycle. You know, there's consolidation, there's recapitalization, everybody gets squeezed down, new investors come in. It's just not a great place to be as an owner. But I recognize that if you look at folks like Dave Leninger, Gary Keller, and others, the franchisor or the parent company, that's where you wanted to have equity ownership in. And Gary wasn't giving up any equity ownership at Keller Williams International. And so in 2012, I said, you know, we need to figure out a way to get agents equity. Now, I'd talked to one of my board members, Randall Miles. He's on the board even today in 2008 before we started EXP because I actually wanted to do equity for our agents back then. And it's challenging to do that when you're dealing with non-accredited investors, which most of our agents are. And uh, so by 2012, that was where the light bulb's like, I'm not thinking big enough. We need to just figure out how to become public. And so that was when I knew some people. So I, I called a buddy of mine and said, hey, I'm trying to become a public company. Do you have a shell, a public shell? And uh, he went to work, found me one, cleaned it up in, in uh, 2013 and merged ourselves into it for the single purpose of being able to issue shares of equity to our agents. That 2014, uh, about August, September, we did our first agent equity awards. 2015 was the first year we doubled in size. 2016, we grew 240%. Wow. And so the equity piece was the single biggest differentiator in our growth trajectory by the simple fact of making our agents shareholders. And at the time, there must not have been any other brokerages that were offering agents equity. There was none. Nothing. None. In fact, I look at now, there's a handful that are either offering equity you know, Fathom, Real, uh, I think Compass, but all three of them are public. So, mm. and then you've got a whole slew of them that are promising phantom equity, which my guess is they're running afoul of, you know, securities laws and everything else because they don't have a registered offering. It's not approved in all 50 states, et cetera, et cetera, but they're running around and doing this stuff. But agents are now getting equity, phantom equity, future equity, options on equity. And so if you look at, you know, what, we've accomplished, it has ripple effects well beyond just EXP. Yeah. I mean, you've kind of ushered in this idea that agents 
regular agents could be owners in the business they're in, in a real and actual way by having equity. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's powerful. That's a, that's a cool lasting legacy. I'm curious, like over the past year, what's something you've learned either about yourself or the industry or your business? Um, I mean, the reality is, is I've learned, and this is very recent, that the industry is in a state of major flux. We may be looking at the next two, three, four years, the backdrop of residential real estate and how we do the business actually fundamentally changing. If it does change in the way that it could, we're going to see huge swaths of the industry have to pivot in ways that I don't think many of them can pivot. And, you know, there's so many companies that are based on generating leads for consumers looking to purchase homes, all based on the fundamental premise that there's compensation already offered through the multiple listing service to agents representing their clients in the purchase of a property. And if that changes, and I know New York has already sort of created some rules around it that changes the game there. And if more of these rules are adopted, there's going to be a wide swath of the industry that fundamentally can't operate in the way that they've been operating and likely will have a lot of business going out of business. So what are the qualities that you think a company needs to have to survive and thrive over the next two years? Well, I think one is, well, in the next one to two years, I don't know that there's a whole bunch that's going to affect in the next one to two years because there's a bunch of decisions and appeals and other things that are coming down the pipe. But in three to four, I think you need to have a significant grasp of inventory for your business, meaning listings. Mm. Listings, which is ironic because when I got in the business, I was 100% buyer-based. You know, when I got in the business, I'm like, you mean I can set up a website, I can get consumers to come to my website, I can take these buyers into my car, show them a property, find them, negotiate on their behalf, and I don't have to ask them for money. Right. I mean, that was my whole business in 2002 through 2009. And you think about, you know, 60, 70% of the industry, agent-wise, they're predominantly buyer-based agents. Mm. The majority of their business comes from representing buyers in a real estate transaction. And so they need to figure out quickly how they can go and actually become listing machines. Because if they don't, there's a chance that they will be fundamentally out of business. Right. Well, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Like you said before we hit record, right? It's um, may you live in interesting times. And this is certainly an interesting time in the industry. That's all the time we have for today. We got to go get to class. But Glenn, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate you having you here. And um, yeah, I'm Mike Delpretti. You're listening to Context. If you want to hear more podcasts or more of my research, just check out my website, mikedp.com. All right, we'll catch you next time. Thanks.